quick content warning before we get started. There is mention and details of a murder in this episode as well as mention of suicide, so if you would like to click off, this is your time to do so, and if you would like to stay for the episode, I hope you enjoy. Hi everybody, welcome back to the Armchair Detectives. I am here with many hosts and a special guest, Mr. Yonda. Say hi everyone. Hi. Hello everyone. How's everybody doing? Pretty good. I lost my sister for a while, but I'm I'm doing great now. Did is she okay? <laughs> yeah, she's cool. Where did she go? <laughs> oh, she had a track meet and decided not to tell anyone. That's great. Amani's unsolved mystery case is her sister. <laughs> I'm going to say it was aliens. No, we found I think it. It was aliens too. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely going to say it was Lauren. Probably uh, Lauren. I think oh, it's yeah, the elevator. Yeah. Break up the houses. It's the I think it's Lauren game. too. It's the yeah, elevator. Yeah, it might be game. the elevator game. It's elevator game. Her her sister probably listened to the podcast last week and was like, "Oh, I should play that." Play the elevator game. Yeah. <laughs> um, for all of my friends who can actually see me, I am in a different location today, and I have a little story before we get started, because it's not true crime, but it's crime. it feels so criminal in my brain. I. Last year around this time, I had a problem with giant ants in my room, and it was my fault. Got a little bit sad, room got a little bit messy. I have better coping mechanisms now, but I got a bamboo plant. And apparently on bamboo, they can like, I don't know what it's called, but they can like have like a sticky surface things like grow on it and ants love it. And so my window is not like fully closed because I have like an AC unit hanging out because we don't have like AC in my house. And I like tore it out for winter, but I couldn't close my window all the way. And so these giant ants were like, came into my room and they started like crawling all over my bamboo and like all over my floor. And my dogs could only eat so many. I had to take care of the rest. And like, luckily last year, I did not have like a vacuum with like a wand that I could use. Now I do. So I didn't have to squish them with my hands. Um, and then my father was like, I'll get bug spray for you. Don't worry. I went to work. I came back. Hundreds of ants in my room. No bug spray. He forgot. He was asleep. And then he was like, I'll get it for you tomorrow. Don't worry. Don't worry. Um, I don't have any bug spray yet, but I did (laughs) tape my windows shut with like washi tape because we don't have any duct tape or any kind of tape except for like little decorative washi tape. And I have used so much of it to shut my windows. And they're still getting in. I don't know how, but um, I, it makes me feel unclean. It should. You know you could use perfume to kill them. I didn't think about that. Although, I don't want to waste my One Direction perfume on them. Facts. That's why you got to get like some, some awful perfume, some gas station perfume, and just go full ham, spray it directly on them. They will curl up and die. What would gas station perfume smell like? A um, gas station. It smells yeah. real bad. It's just <laughs> it like, smells like gas. It smells like cheap. Just gasoline. Like yeah. toxic fumes. <laughs> Yuck. I, but all I could think about right now is Lauren vacuuming ants with a vacuum, like a vacuum wand. Oh, I could think it was... about the fact that when she said she could only take care of so many, I was like, are you eating them? Oh my goodness. <laughs> 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 like my dog 
dogs can only eat so many. I had to, you had, you had to take care of it. I was like, so you're eating. <laughs> the big thump you heard was, was something happening in Lauren's room. So yeah. she may have, she may have been, ants. it may have been a giant ant. They got me. <laughs> they got her. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren, we are now speaking to um, an ant infested brain. I may or may not have told my brother I was recording in his room. (laughs) Um, But I think it is Payback, my favorite movie when I was younger. I have no idea what it's called for some reason, but it had, I would watch it over and over again. And it's like giant ants and they like eat people. That sounds like a goosebumps. When you were younger, that was your favorite movie? One of my favorites. I would watch it in between like um, the Aristocats and like the sound of music that explains a lot this explains a lot that explains a lot i think yes for your taste in movies i have a deeper understanding of you now thank yeah you. absolutely do and <laughs> uh, so mr yonda thank you for joining us today um, you're welcome We've been a strictly non-men podcast up until this point, so it's totally <laughs> fine. It is. It w- we we were a little bit nervous to open it up, but no, Lord, well, Mr. Yonda is a robot. Oh I, my yeah, God. yeah. Well, okay, okay. The group full, chat was just filled with panic. Full. Well, don't don't panic. First off, you guys did a great job. It's been fantastic to listen to all of you guys, um, gals gender neutral guys whatever term um to like hear your fun ideas about how some of these things like (laughs) went went down (laughs) uh because they're they're so it's interesting it's just really interesting about how all of the conversations either end up being like ghastly horror or like oh yeah we we've definitely just solved this like why 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 every case why would the fbi need you know like analysts when they have uh teenage girls so (laughs) so true armchair detectives armchair detectives crimes guaranteed absolutely yeah and so i came on for for a couple of reasons the first reason though too is to um just shout out the fact that um by the time that your podcast listeners are are listening to this uh tctv which is the program that we all kind of work for our broadcast journalism class at timber creek high school uh will have a 24 hour a day seven day a week streaming channel uh, available with kind all kinds of content. Uh, maybe you'll be actually hearing this podcast episode on there sometime. I don't know. We'll figure that 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 kind of stuff out. Um, and also wanted to shout out that the our twenty four seven internet radio station TCFM, which Amani is a manager of, uh, also plays um, you know this at five fifteen. But I forgot what day, Amani. What day? <laughs> Does Fridays. It come? On Fridays. Perfect. So. You know, those are two other ways to, to listen to this stuff. But I did, I did bring a really interesting, or at least I think is a really interesting, uh, unsolved crime. It is a caper. It is something that is that's that's different, and it probably does involve some death, but it's not a, not quite as gory as people, um, you know, showing up in water tanks or like going missing or having weird um, text like 
CIA messages on beaches in, uh, uh, you know, away. But this is a story about Dan Cooper, but it was kind of told as D.B. Cooper. Has anyone heard of D.B. Cooper before? Yeah, well, Maggie is like, yes, but some other people maybe not. So D.B. Cooper is actually the most famous um, hijacker that has never been identified. So he hijacked a plane in 1971. So on the day before Thanksgiving uh, in 1971, November 24th, um, this guy calling himself Dan Cooper, um, that we don't think that's his real name, uh, went to uh, the Northwest Orient Airlines in Portland, Oregon and used cash to buy a one-way ticket to Seattle. So he was a quiet dude in his mid-40s, wore a business suit, black tie, ordered a drink of bourbon and soda while the flight was going to take off. And a short time after the the flight took off, he handed the stewardess a notice saying, I've got a bomb in my briefcase and you need to come and sit next to me. So she did. And this woman sat sat next to him and he opened up his briefcase and he had what appeared to be a bomb and he said all right take down these notes i want two hundred thousand dollars in twenty dollar bills i want four parachutes and then i want you to redirect the flight to Seattle. when we land in seattle i want you to get us to be able to refuel and then we're going to go to a different place so this is where things got like really, really strange because there were other people on the plane at the time. But what happened ended up being that they got him. Uh, they, they, they did what they were told. The, he took the, the note to the captain and the captain called it in and they agreed to the ransom. They agreed to the parachutes. They agreed to let everybody off the plane. So they told the passengers that were on the plane, hey, uh, we have a little bit of mechanical problem. Um, so we're going to fly around for a little bit. And then uh, they landed in Seattle. And in Seattle, they refueled the plane and brought the, the money like to the plane. So when they let the passengers go, though. So they let just the, the 36 passengers that were on the flight go, except for um, like the co-pilot and the pilot and then a stewardess that was helping him the whole time. And then this guy, Dan Cooper, and he ordered him to go to Mexico City. So somewhere like while he's they're flying the plane to Mexico City, right? There's only five people aboard. There's Cooper, who's the hijacker. This pilot, whose name was Scott, um, his, that's his last name. Um, and then the flight attendant, co-pilot, and the flight engineer. But they also scrambled two fighter airplanes to like follow it, uh, follow the, the hijacking plane, just in case. Um, so after takeoff, Cooper told the flight attendant to join the rest of the, the crew in the cockpit and remain there with the door closed. So she went up there. But then, so the way that Cooper had told them to fly the plane, he knew like specifically how fast the plane needed to go, like the minimum airspeed to travel without stalling the airplane, like with a, like the slowest you could possibly make the plane go and at a maximum foot of 10,000 feet. And he lowered the wing flaps and he had them drop the uh, landing gear 
and everything. And he jumped out of the back of the plane. So, which is not a good idea, first off, but he jumped out of the back of the plane with $200,000 in 1971, which is about like 1.2 million uh, in funds now and was never heard from again, like completely disappeared. And so since 1971, well, until 2016, the FBI uh, was looking for this guy and they had over 800 suspects um, by the first five years of the hijacking. And then they eliminated all but two dozen of them uh, from consideration. And so there's still people out there who are either claiming that um, like claiming a couple of different theories. Theory number one is that he never landed, that he, that he like took, jumped out of the plane and never pulled his parachute, never landed, never anything like that. But they actually found some of the ransom money, but not all of the ransom money. They found like just some of it um, in a location that was like further away than they kind of expected it to be. Um, and they've only found like, like four pieces of evidence, um, f like physical evidence from all of this. One of them is the guy's tie. So the FBI has his tie, um, and he removed it before he jumped. And so they have a DNA sample, but it hasn't matched anybody. Um, then they had a, like a placard with the instructions on how to let the back stairs go down so that he could jump out of the plane. And in 1980, which was like nine years after this uh, hijacking, uh, a, a little eight-year-old boy found like three packets of random cash that were some of the ransom money that they had given to him as the hijacker. But the remaining bills have not shown up anywhere. So it's like, because they took pictures of all of the money they gave him and the money hasn't shown up anywhere. Um, and they kind of, uh, they've kind of found in 2017, some, some like pieces that might be part of the parachute and might be part of the, the, uh, the uh, backpack part of the parachute that he wore, but it's unlikely. Um, so it's just really strange that this guy just leapt out and never been seen nor heard from again so i don't know pretty okay. wild here's my theory all right okay. the somerton man this is definitely <laughs> the somerton man okay he knows how to get away without like people knowing who he is except it's not the somerton man because obviously he died but it's like the same like kind of person who like mm -hmm is untraceable you can't ever find them all right he jumps out of the plane whatever you know spreads out the cash somewhere so that, you know he's not having this giant amount of money that he um you know can be found with but he keeps enough so that he can live and stay low and uh you know he's still out there somewhere because because legends never die because legends never die legends never die all i know I mean, like, is it's not me yeah it's not you don't yeah none of none of none of us not even me fit the physical description of this guy um, <laughs> so 
Um, that's a that's a challenge. But then also, you know, the, Maggie's theory about the the Summerton man might have some relevance because some of these details that the FBI has you know like talked about is like only CIA paramilitary jumpers know the the speed that the aircraft is supposed to go and the flaps and stuff like that. So like it might have been some guy who had like a CIA connection. All right. Bear with me. Okay. While I weave together a story. We've seen the movies, we've read the books. We're talking about probably a government agent that had to, you know, like like make himself like a rep, you know, something mm. bold, something daring, you know, but it has to be something within his bounds of experience. So he gets a ransom. He doesn't do anything quite, you know, quite nefarious. There's no murder. There's no, there's no, there's nothing tragic happening here. The government just lost about $200,000. And well, it's, yeah. And it was just the company too. Like the company paid the ransom, like mm -hmm. th though the government, like the FBI and the the people like were around like law enforcement were around it like everybody got off the plane safely except except maybe for this guy like that's the that's the, that's part of the weird thing about this all the other like hijackings and things around this time and if you don't if you haven't spent any time looking at like past airplane hijackings most of them were like politically motivated like people wanted to go to cuba or um, there actually was a copycat of this guy of the like that that did this same thing again. But when he jumped out, <laughs> uh, he lost all the money. <laughs> so he survived the parachuting, but lost all the money. Um, That's depressing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. It's it's just it's really really interesting because they don't they they have a bunch of suspects that like were also like really they're strange too should i explain a couple of these weird suspects like that were real people okay because yes. there's a couple that i think are really fascinating like for first off they tried so dan cooper just the name dan cooper is actually like an alias of a pop popular belgian comic book character <laughs> he was a royal canadian air force test pilot and was on numerous adventures like parachuting and so i think monty's idea is right like you know they knew that you know gotta be somebody to make name for my myself but they really think that evidence points to somebody who knew a lot about aircraft and terrain and flying so one of the interesting things too about it is that they they have a couple of people that were that were kind of not i wouldn't say like primary suspects but they didn't like completely clear them um one of the guys um is was a minnesota guy named lyle christian uh, named kenneth peter christiansen um and he this in 2003 they were watching it this guy this guy's brother lyle was watching a documentary about db cooper and was convinced convinced that his brother did it and so he contacted a private investigator in new york talked to a whole bunch of people hired a detective who published a book about it and this guy christensen was in the army in 1944 trained as a paratrooper paratrooper he um 
what became a flight attendant for Northwest Orient, which is the name, which is the company that, that was hijacked, was based in Seattle for a while. He was about 45 years old at the time of the hijacking, but was apparently shorter and thinner than what they described Cooper looking at. And um, like what was also kind of interesting is like Christensen smoked just like Cooper did and had a particular fondness for the bourbon drink the Cooper ordered and he was left-handed. And so was the Cooper was left-handed and it kind of the, what the, the, the flight attendant that interacted with him most said that this guy looked most like the guy that she um, thing. Um, and he reportedly purchased a house with cash a few months after the hijacking, right? And then when dying of cancer in 1994, he told his brother, Lyle, there's something you should know, but I can't tell you. And then Lyle never, like, never pressed it because his brother died. But apparently, like, all they had a folder of Northwest Orient news clippings, uh, you know, researching all sorts of different things, but internet sleuths have come back and been like, no, you know what? There's still too many holes in this guy's story. So we don't think it's, we don't think it's him. And that's like the documentaries have done this over and over again. And so like the most recent documentary that I've watched about this came out last year. Um, it's on HBO max right now. Um, it's kind of like the mystery of DB Cooper. And they talk to a number of people, including, um, somebody who's related to this guy um but there's there's some other interesting ones too because there's this so there's a guy named ld cooper who was a korean war veteran um and had this niece named marla cooper who was convinced that um her uh uncle had used these expensive walkie-talkies and set up uh, a whole big like a way to to uh to parachute out and then be picked up by like the his brother because it's a like for them to, for him to escape from like the area like that he would have landed in he would have had to hitchhike for like days or to get out of the forest he would have had to know where to go um and it's it's just it's I, I, yeah i don't know it's weird. It's there's weird and there's like 20 different of these people but i just want to share one more because i think this person is really fascinating too <laughs> so there's a there's a one of the suspects that was discussed um was a person named barbara dayton so this is where things get a little complicated so help follow the story with me um, she was a recreational pilot and a University of Washington librarian, but she was born as Robert Dayton and served in the Merchant Marine and then in the Army during World War War. After discharge, Dayton worked with explosives in the construction industry and wanted to be a professional airline pilot, but couldn't con obtain a commercial pilot's license because Robert Dayton was transgender and had transitioned into a woman, Barbara. And so at the time the the air like the different airline schools um didn't they wouldn't give her a uh they wouldn't they wouldn't give her a, a pilot's license and so dayton said that she claimed to, that she staged the cooper hijacking two years later 
dressed as a man to get back at the airline industry and the FAA, whose rules had prevented her from becoming an airline pilot. And said so the ransom money was hidden in a cistern near Woodburn, which is south of Portland. Um, eventually, she said she recanted the whole story, but that's probably because she learned that the hijacking charges could still be brought against uh, her. But she died in 2002. And that part of the, the documentary was the most fascinating to me because they talked to two of the people who ran the airline school that she was at to try to get her um, license and explained it how furious she was about this, you know, unfair rule um, at the time for for this person. So that's that's one I just think is fascinating. The FBI- I definitely, I definitely think there's multiple people involved. There's no way that it was just him. Like, yeah, I don't think it's possible that one person could do that. That's why I think it's like it was like a it was like a government team, you know, like when you have to like go undercover, but you have to do it as like a criminal. So like you have to like act criminal to like get oh, it. like you have to like yeah 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 like you have to like show to the people that you're trying to like get in with undercover that like you know you're a criminal and everything, and they obviously like the FBI can't just tell this airline, hey, this is actually one of our guys. And yeah. that's why everything yeah. seemed like way too complicit, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but then that's that also gives them a bit of cover too, because if it was like if they were successful and like the ransom money, like maybe part of the ransom money never, you know, was discovered because like if that person was successful in their mission, they're able to give the money back, like and nobody has to know about it. Like, exactly. yeah, and I also think, I also think that like since some of it was dropped, there was probably more drop that we don't know about because people were like, "Oh, money! Let me keep this for myself." Like, I think that exactly. definitely it like just happened that a young boy found it. Good work. Well, because it was ripped. <laughs> it's ripped up. Like, if you take a look at it, there's, there's, I mean, there's, there's re, there's so much information about this one. It was just like I just kept digging deeper and deeper into it and I was like oh my gosh it was there was so much there's so many people involved and figuring out who's who and figuring out a lot of them are like you know publicity stunts like um like not publicity stunts but people who think that they're 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 kind of doing it um you know they're they're calling themselves a suspect or or like saying my uncle my uncle did it to write a book and like different things like that and it's it's really interesting that like there's just some people <laughs> it's just crazy you see that with a lot of cases because people want to claim the fl- like people want to claim the fame in any way they can like that girl on tiktok who said that she was um ted bundy's granddaughter mm. and then the Sequentially, um, got her grandmother doxxed. Yikes. Yeah, that's a thing. There, there's also a lot of people on TikTok that try to claim they're related to Richard Ramirez because a lot of people like to um, act like he's attractive and yeah. he did the crimes for a certain reason. I don't know who which Richard I is. think romance, he, he was the Night Stalker. That's a whole, I, I don't even know. Who the original Night Stalker. Yeah, but 
I that's just like a whole thing where people try to pretend um, to be related to um, serial killers or criminals who people have um, romanticized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they're like, oh, this will make me cool. This will like get me in the news, and I can talk about like my experience growing up with Richard Ramirez as my grandfather. That's because an American Horror Story. They made them look hot. Was it Evan Peters in that one too? Because if it's no, Peters, no, everyone... someone else. <laughs> no people okay. find Jeffrey Dahmer attractive. I never understood that. Yuck! No. Yeah, especially when they had Ross Lynch play him. I was about to say, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh! The also the whole Ted oh, Bundy. Zac Efron. I see. I see nothing in Ted Bund. Like I don't see anything in a serial killer. Like no, he was a classic. Thing. Everybody. Yeah, why the movie, do they also the, the Ted Bundy, Bundy movie with Zac Efron? They in the movie they kind of make him like not look bad, and it's like why why are you doing that? He killed people. Yeah, he's bad. Yeah, and they always cast like super like. He was like he was like very like enigmatic. Like that's how he like got women because they found him handsome and they went with him. Or that's how he made people like doubt him because there's no way this like relatively good looking man who has like his whole future ahead of him there's no way that he could be the one that's yeah feeling crazy because he's the time at best and like yeah. this is and something then... that's that's always frustrated me with um with what's it called movies about like serial killers where they like always hire like always cast someone like super attractive and whatever and, like, I feel like the only, like, case where I haven't seen that done is when it's a woman and it's, mm-hmm. I was like, just about someone to depicting that. Eileen Warnos. Yeah, it definitely needs to change. Romantic female yeah. serial killers. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> they always make the women seem crazy. Yeah. Well, but, yeah. too, too you guys were talking many weeks back about how it's always like the how the women victims are described in these Mm -hmm. in these cases you know like the pretty young thing like like that's totally a a a bad media standard on for like even for reporters like you know this cute charming girl gets stabbed in the throat like hold on yeah they're like oh there's this cute woman who is wearing blah 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 they mentioned that she was like racy and like always had a lot of men with her and it was like Mm -hmm. that's not important right now her body was severed in a parking lot yeah i know we talked about this on an episode before but if you find serial killers attractive seek help seek help yes yes there's nothing cute about being a murderer i haven't watched Sorry, I'm going back to what you're talking about earlier. I haven't watched Night Stalker. I know it's it's the Netflix oh, one. Oh yeah, right? I, I, I just watched that. I heard it's good, but I heard it's like really like creepy. Or yeah, because I mean yeah, like Richard Ramirez was a really creepy, nasty person, and I'm tired crazy. of seeing I'm tired of seeing people on TikTok saying he's attractive or whatever. And even in the um show. He they talk about how he had groupies and like they would like send him stuff when he was in prison and they would show up to his court hearings and like support him. That's horrible. Yeah. I don't know if we've done a, a a show on him, but we should. That should be a thing that's oh, coming. We'll drive his. 
Speaking Anyways. of murderers, <laughs> um, I'm going to be talking about Stephanie Lazarus and the murder of Sherry Rasmussen and John Rutan. I'm just going to refer them to them all by their first names because they have very strange last names. So there's this woman and her name is Stephanie, right? And she's dating or so she thinks dating this guy named John. Um, and, you know, he eventually is like, hey, like, let's break up. He later on testifies that they like weren't romantically involved only, I don't know if I can say this, only sexually involved. And so that like, she was never his girlfriend. Um, and so like, she was kind of hurt like she's been, she was like hurt whenever he broke up with her. She was madly in love with him. Um, and so uh, she also, Stephanie, Stephanie, I don't, I can't remember if she became a police officer um, before this. But anyway, Stephanie was a police officer and John, you know, moved on and whatever. And he's, he started dating this woman named Sherry Rasmussen. And uh, Sherry's like a girl next door type of person. She was very nice and very sweet. She was blonde. Like, see, I'm describing her like, like everyone else does. But so um, on the morning of February 24th, 1986, um, Rasmussen or Sherry, um told John that like she might um like she was gonna uh call in sick because she really didn't want to do this presentation that she had and um and so you know she she called in sick and um that she stayed home and at 9 45 a.m um one of uh the one of John's oh I also forgot to mention they got married John and oh John and Sherry got married anyway so one of their neighbors realized that their like garage door was open and there was like no car in there which means like someone just left their garage door open and then um John called her John like tried calling Sherry and was like hey hey where are you at like are you home because he knew that she had called in sick and was like just so perplexed she didn't pick up the phone. Um, and then at noon, two men that the neighbor had seen and believed were just gardeners um, gave her and her husband a purse that um, gave Rasmussen, gave Sherry's sister a purse that um they had found at um they they had, had turned out to be sherry's um and then at like 12 30 a maid um cleaning like she was like in the apartment next door said that she heard like two people fighting and like something falling like all this ruckus and you know she just She's like, okay, whatever, normal people things. Um, and when John returned, 
the garage door was still open um and there was like broken glass in like the driveway um he also saw that the bmw that he bought for sherry as an engagement gift was missing um and because of like sherry's like plan to like skip out and work like you know he was like she left and she didn't tell me like what is going on this is really strange um and so inside john found sherry dead on the living room floor um and she had been shot three times and so you know it kind of looked like someone like broke in but like um and was like trying to steal stuff and whatever um and you know he was like he, he called the he called the police and you know they came over and um they they investigated they had found like a bite mark on sherry's arm there she had like defensive wounds um like a bruise um that looks like it was inflicted by the muzzle of a gun um and um so the like gun had been fired through like a blanket so that like silence the sound so like people wouldn't be alerted nearby um and so they took a swab of the like uh the bite mark even though like they didn't have dna then they knew it was coming soon um because that's just what you do when you're investigating a murder so they quickly concluded that she had just been surprised and killed by a burglar um because like it it seemed that by what she was wearing, that she was not expecting anyone to stop by or anything. Um, and though all that, although that um, maid had heard like fighting and screaming, right? Um, she didn't remember like hearing a gunshot or anything. Um, she just like, you know, she was like, yeah, it was just like fighting. Um, and then the BMW that John had gotten Sherry was discovered, but it yielded new, no new evidence. So after all of this, right, the, Rasmu the Rasmussen's family, like, they were like, they knew that this had to be Stephanie. They knew of Stephanie's um, psychotic behavior. They knew that she was constantly harassing John because she wanted to be the only one who loved him. And, you know, if no one, if she couldn't love him, then no one should. Like, um, so, so they were like, it has to be Stephanie. Like, it, it can't be anyone else. It has to be Stephanie. This is not a burglary. Um, and so, um, so like, then this just kind of went like a cold case. They, they, they suspected people to be the burglars but they'd never found anyone or convicted anyone. Um, Stephanie then goes on to be, become a, like a, a detective for like stolen paintings and stolen artwork for museums. Um, you know, she makes her way up, she's getting a lot of awards. Um, and then a second investigation is launched. Um, 
because they they were the Los Angeles crime had declined um, enough from its earlier levels that detectives um, began looking into cold cases to increase their clearance rates, which if police sometimes want to have a good like reputation, like work reputation, and they start to solve cold cases, I'm okay with that. Um, so, you know, they, they, it was 2009, they could test DNA by that point. They tested the swab that was collected from the bite mark on Sherry, and um, it matched a female suspect. Um, and they decided that like the theory that it was like a, a burglary was like so wrong. Um, and so they had to like start from the very beginning. So um, like they, they had like, you know, like reinvestigated all of the evidence that was collected, but obviously they didn't have the um, advantage of, you know, being at the crime scene or, um, you know, being able to look at the evidence as it was there. Um, so they also went and talked to um, the Rasmussen and, um, you know, they were like, oh, my grandma, like, has always been convinced that it was Stephanie Lazarus. And so they're all like, okay, let's, let's dig into this for a bit. Um, and so, um, eventually, uh, you know, after investigating her some, they were able to get a coffee cup out of her, like, trash can and get DNA off of that and compare it to DNA from the bite mark. And it was a match. And so they were all like, uh, this woman who's like been with us for um, like, like 20 years and, you know, has been making her way up the ranks uh, is a murderer. So they arrested her <laughs> and they, they automatically could tell that her talking about her old boyfriend and everything like she was pretty psychotic about it all. Um, so what they had done uh, was that, you know, they two of her colleagues brought her in to like a, a an inter, uh, you know, like interrogation room, an interview room, whatever. And, you know, they were just talking because they, they had heard um, like, you know, they were trying to type some loose ends and Stephanie's name had come up in the Rasmussen case. And they just wanted, you know, to, to talk to her about what she remembers from that time um, and everything. And all of a sudden, you know, they, they close in on her and she, she admits it. Um, you know, so they arrest her and then she goes to trial and they present all of this evidence and, um, you know, obviously all of the um, jury found her guilty of first degree murder. Um, and she was sentenced to 27 years um, to life in prison. Um, and 
she will be eligible for parole in 13 years. So 2034, which like that, that year itself doesn't sound too far away. But then when I think about like 13 years away, I don't know, that seems so close. Anyways, that's the case of um, Stephanie Lazarus and Sherry Rasmussen. I know it's already solved, but I just think it's a really interesting case. I'd like to say, um, cool name. Uh, there's that. Second of all, man, why is it so hard to be in a good relationship? Oh my gosh. True. Like they, like they, I like John and Cher were like a really happy couple, according to all their friends. And then she had to go and get murdered. So, man, you know what this tells me? Don't have casual relationships. What? Don't do it. Just stay where you're at. Just true. Like, true. Don't also, don't casual. don't bite anybody. That's don't bite, um, people. That's don't bite people. Don't have Sounds relationships like with biters. That's I think that's super interesting too that they had I mean the amount of time from the the time of the murder to like I mean more than 20 years later to solving that that crime and because you know investigators did their job and collected you know evidence that eventually you know led led to that um that's really interesting. Like, I wonder how many other like famous cold cases would be solved if, like, there hadn't been like damaged evidence or like maybe even tampered evidence and stuff like that. Like, I don't know. Like, mm -hmm. and it just makes me so angry that like uh, Stephanie Lazarus was hiding in plain sight. Literally, her colleagues were investigating this murder and like they didn't they decided to just not listen to the Rasmussen and that just makes me so angry like sometimes you just have to investigate it to get them off your back right and then maybe it's the truth but it's just that part makes me so angry yeah also this just proves cops protect their own <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Yes, and and yeah, I had to I had to dig it, dig it up because I was so fascinated by it. But like the what I had just seen too is this. There's a, a couple of really great articles about like how she might have how Stephanie Lazarus might have like used her police training to make it look like a robbery and how yeah yeah she might have had people remove evidence like to to get away with it you know and and in it only being a kind of a not a fluke but like that again that one piece of evidence the dna specifically that that got her there apparently she's suing like or has sued the LAPD and stuff like that to saying that the alleged uh, both both the Rasmussen's and some other people have um, 
sued the police, the LAPD, for saying like for for maybe not helping, like not doing enough at the time, and then also for like, wow, like. Oh, I thought Stephanie Lazarus was suing the police. Yeah, (laughs) right. If you're doing that, I think if I'm reading this right, she's not suing the police no, there's good. the i'm seeing three cases that are, are related to this and part of it's um about um about i find, I find this so often with cases where like the family of the victim sue the police department because the police department just like doesn't do enough and it like throws the whole case off because you know, I feel like being on the crime scene and getting enough data and not like touching or not data, DNA and not touching the DNA. And um, I just find that like so often in most cases that I've heard that it's always something in the very beginning, which is the most crucial that they don't get or they mess up. And then it just, it either takes like 20 years or they never figure out what happens or they do figure out what happened and it you know, caused a lot of like emotional damage because it took so much to get there. But I just, I find this to happen so often. Yeah, it kind of sucks. The, the um, ordering system of police investigations. It's also just, a, it's, it's a challenge, right? Like figuring out the puzzle pieces sort of like after the, everything's been, been, scattered like they're working backwards like forensic investigators and detectives and like even people afterwards trying to piece together a puzzle that's already been scattered and if you're missing that piece it could look completely different or if you I mean in this case a bite mark like makes makes a huge like is the smoking gun it's not a smoking gun it's teeth the smoking teeth it's also like crazy if she just kept her teeth to herself she could have gotten away with it which is absolutely insane like you just you just have to go the extra mile you just have to go just a little bit beyond the lapse of feral mm-hmm. and that's and why i just don't have such a like spitful mouth yeah i'm choosing to drag all of my teeth when you bite for no particular reason, I just like, what was her yeah. reason to bite her? Like yeah, because like in the like, case, like, I got mad. Mm-hmm. Like I get like you know, but yeah, I, I agree. Next time, also, friend, I'm gonna bite her. Also, if she has like the background <laughs> and like understands like solving crimes, like wouldn't mm-hmm. you? Like wouldn't she think not to do that? Yeah, because like um. Yeah. You can identify people so easily by their teeth. So when I bite, yeah, breath, like I'm gonna remove my teeth completely. Yeah, yeah, like dental records and stuff. Yeah, and like that was a very dumb yeah. move on her part. Yeah, she mm-hmm. was so stupid. But also, like, if she was stupid, imagine how stupid the people investigating this originally were. Like, <laughs> not very girl boss of Stephanie. As they so said, another failure. She's a girl bossing her way through parole in like thirteen years. <laughs> <laughs> you do what you gotta do wait what year did this murder happen uh 1986 ah, uh, my God. mom was born that year 
I was also born that year. I think <laughs> yeah. we have time for another small little case. I believe Alina asked us something. Wait, can yeah. I can I wait, can I bring up something real quick? Yeah. I know Mr. Yonda hates um astrology, so I'm gonna bring this up uh, to him. Yeah. She was a Taurus, which mm, makes me feel a little makes sad. So much I know that's anger issues. That's what I'm hearing. Oh no. That can that explains the biting like no other. When you money, she's gonna go on her tangent again. Feral. Feral, that's what they are. That's all Tauruses, feral. <laughs> Scorpios are vile. And that Mew her. Mew her. <laughs> her. You're gonna have to change the name of the show to the armchair astrologists, like after that. <laughs> but 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 speaking of another really good documentary, um, and this is about astrology, so this is on topic. There's a really, really good one um, about this famous, oh, what is his name? I just watched this. Um, mucho, mucho amor is what it's called. Uh, Walter Mercado, who's this famous um, astrologist um, in Spanish language media. And, and it's a beautiful documentary on Netflix um, about him and he... Yeah. So if you care about, if you haven't seen it, you, you gotta, you gotta see it. Okay. Okay. I'll make sure to do that. Mr. Yano. Okay. Um, my case, uh, it's not like a crime. It also deals with somebody taking or not taking it, but taking an airplane, it deals with airplanes. So that's pretty interesting, but this one, it's not a crime. Um, I just thought it was really interesting and I just heard about it and it was recent. It happened two years ago. Um, so basically on August 10th, 2018, um, at the Seattle Tacoma International Airport, a worker, um, his name was Richard Russell. He was 29. He stole a plane and he had no piloting experience. Like um, I'm pretty sure he only worked like on the grounds. He didn't even do anything on planes, um, but he stole the plane and, you know, automatically, since this is 2018, they noticed right away. And so they sent two fighter jets out because they were like, what? Because at first they didn't know what was going on. They didn't know if there was people on this plane. Um, so they sent these fighter jets on and they're trying to figure out where he was going, what he was doing. And then finally, air traffic control made radio contact with him. And he, they, you can listen to the whole recording um, on YouTube. And for an hour and 15 minutes, which is how long he um flew the plane he talked to them the whole time he was making jokes he was laughing and they were like what are you doing because they found out nobody was on the plane the plane was empty he just stole it and he described himself as a broken guy who has a few loose screws and he was talking about how he knew he was gonna disappoint his family and they were not they were gonna be confused about why he was gonna do this so this was leading air traffic control to think that he was going to kill himself um, and so he started doing tricks. He was literally doing like flips in the air and like going low to the water because this is in the Seattle area where there's a bunch of water. And he was just doing all these crazy tricks. And he was on the recordings. You can hear him like laughing and like telling the air traffic control, like, do you think I could do this trick? Like an air traffic control is like, I don't know. Like they're trying to convince him to land the plane because they're like really confused. And, you know, he talks about how you know he's not mentally well and he says that he doesn't want to hurt anybody that's not his intention um so after about an hour and a half he says do you think I could do this one last trick and trick and air traffic control is like well how about you come and land the plane and 
while all of this is happening, people around, you know, the area are seeing this plane and they're recording it. So you can also find videos of him, like the plane flying because he was so low to the ground and he was literally doing flips in the air. So people were like, what in the world is happening? Um, but after an hour and a half, he asked if he can do one, one more trick and air traffic control is just like, I don't know, like, you know, you should probably land. And then um, abruptly the recording ends and then there's a huge fireball on an island um, where there's nobody, nobody's on that island. It's an empty island. And that was that he, and he wanted to end his life and he decided he would steal a plane and do a few tricks because that was his dream. He wanted to be a pilot, but you know, it never happened. Um, and the fire uh, fighter jets, they couldn't really do much. They were just flying around him, making sure he didn't like do anything that would cause the lives of others. Um, and he, in the recording, was like, you know, I don't want to mess with these guys. I don't want to hit them. You know, what are they doing here? And air traffic control is just like, well, you kind of stole a plane. So, um, but he says in the recording that he hopes he's not messing up anybody's day and he feels bad if he is. So he, you know, he was really nice. And like, it's quite a sad story that, you know, he felt so sad to, you know, feel like he needed to end his life. And if you listen to him, he sounds so happy and cheery and he's making like jokes that are pretty funny and air traffic control is just kind of like, all right. <laughs> um, and his family came out and said that this was, you know, he was married and this was really just out of nowhere. They didn't even know he was depressed and um, they were shocked to hear that he, you know, the way he did it is just bizarre and crazy that he stole a plane and he, you know, he clearly planned it out and clearly planned to end his life with the plane. But the fact that he um, killed himself at all was just really shocking to the family. And um, that's basically the whole um, case. It's really interesting. And considering it happened two years ago and I've been to that airport before. Um, but yeah, it's sad. And but also like really interesting. And um, he nobody was killed. The island is cleared now. You know, there wasn't really much damage other than the plane crash. So, yeah. Okay. The way he described himself, um, just a few screws loose. Listen, had it been like in the era when Tumblr was blowing up, that boy would have been just all over the place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If Yonda doesn't know what we're talking about, our middle school experience on Tumblr was a lot of um, romanticizing mental illness, which is not good. And hopefully everybody has grown out of that. But whoa, whoa. it's been popular on there. No, actually, no, I actually did that. Yeah. The what I'm fascinated by, and as soon as Lena pulled it up too, like I, I, I had to pull it up. Like, how does somebody learn how to do those tricks? Like, I mean, as did. a as a pilot, like I. Yeah, and I, he was he was doing full like flips in the air and no i, I want read, yeah i read somewhere that he and watched like, a youtube video like right before he did it that's what they found in his search history but that was all it took and um it was actually kind of funny well not i mean it's a horrible sad case i mean he ended his life but after the event of course um it was alaskan airlines it was alaskan Air- airlines um plane um one of the people from alaskan airlines during the interview because they had to speak about it because you know this is their company he said that he was impressed like you know it usually takes years for a normal pilot to be able to do that and he was impressed by his tricks and you know it's he was sad that you know he ended his life because he could have had a career of being a pilot 
Oh, oh, that's worse. Now I feel sad. I was, and I was gonna say, I was like, there's so many like buttons and switches and stuff that you have to do before you take off. But like, I guess it makes sense that you watched a YouTube video. I mean, like I could go on TikTok and find that girl who like flies like little planes and I will learn how to. This plane that I was seeing looked a lot bigger than like a single engine plane like that. Yeah, it's a full, it's a full like plane that they put passengers in an Alaskan Airlines flight. Yeah, and so it, it does not look like a, it's, it's like a aircraft you know like more than just like a little plane so it's just it's it's amazing and it's like Monty said sad like I can't like mm-hmm. I hope I may, hope hopefully we can find some better ways in like our world to help people with mental mm-hmm. health issues so that they're able to take advantage of their talents um, mm-hmm. before tragic ends like this I want to know how he stole the plane. Yeah, I. It's wild that this happened two years ago, or well, no, about to be three years ago. Um, and at the Seattle um airport, and I've been there before. Like, it's a normal airport with a bunch of security. But I mean, I guess it helps knowing that he like worked on the grounds and like mm-hmm. he had like more access than a normal person would. But it's still crazy that he got all the way off the runway. You know. Yeah. Yeah, if it's that busy, like the how many planes are going in and out and stuff like that so that's that is that's that's nuts crazy dude i mean just listening to the recordings i listened to a lot of the recordings you know he's it's you know some stuff he talks about how he's sad and you know he knows he's you know he doesn't want to ruin anyone's day um he's just trying to have fun and you know do something um, crazy with his life and you know it's pretty clear from the start his intention was to end his life you know a lot of people thought oh he just crashed the plane um, but like I don't I can't find another reason why he would steal a plane because that's like jail time like you're mm-hmm. you know you're gonna get in trouble um, but yeah then he was making jokes and air traffic control was just kind of like what like what you know time to land the plane now like what are you doing and he was like no i'm gonna keep doing tricks and that was basically that it was just a wild story well you know those last few moments were probably doing things they loved flying planes and disrespecting authority yeah (laughs) i'm glad Mm -hmm. (laughs) everybody lived the life you wanted it's understandable. I mean, don't go out and steal a plane, guys. There's no, don't. don't do that. <laughs> like, I don't even know how to like react like to that story. That's it's just so bizarre. Yeah, the videos too are just like the tricks that he's so doing. Depressing. Like, I don't want to watch yeah. the videos. I can already like imagine, even though I know it's just audio mm-hmm. and like there's visual footage, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I just. The tricks that he is doing, it's so odd to see like a like passenger airplane that, you know, you would normally go on to like go visit family or something like doing all these crazy weird tricks. And like you can hear the people record like, who are recording the video. They're like, what is this guy doing? Like what in the world? Because like, he's so like close to the ground and he's mm-hmm. like doing flips in the sky. So everybody's just kind of like, I wonder what's going on here? I wonder if they thought there were passengers in there. Probably. I mean, probably, probably yeah. Bumping around. I have to wonder what made him think that he couldn't be a pilot. Mm-hmm. 
like I think just life you know I think um some of the theories because you know there's you know the family doesn't understand why he did it and some of the theories that I read that why he did it was like he was just burned out from being because he in the recordings he talks about being underpaid at his job and so a lot of people were like he was probably like burned out with life and not feeling appreciated at his job and um envied these pilots and wanted to be like them and you know that's sort of what led him to this decision anyways raise the minimum wage yeah yeah probably wasn't making minimum wage but it so true like value your workers in this terrible capitalist society that never ends it's just fueled by money company name redacted please (laughs) raise your wages appreciate your workers kill the ants kill the ants (laughs) so true (laughs) so true um I did see an ant in this room mid-recording. May or may not be because there's a half-eaten grilled cheese in here. Um, mm. Shout out Is to my brother. Is the grilled cheese from you? No, it's my brother's. I don't know how long it's been in here. He hasn't been home. But um, <laughs> shout out to him. He the has ants made it. Than I do. <laughs> the ants are going to trying to feed the ants, you know? They don't... I'm the kind of, okay, I don't like bugs, but I am the kind of person to, like, try to, like, put them in a cup and take them outside, except for these ants. They don't deserve. And they're, there's, and it's sad a little bit because, like, I have no way to communicate to them. They they are obviously way smarter than I am. I taped part of my window. They found a way in. Um, my bad. They outsmarted me many times. Um I was taking like boxes out of my room because I was like, I'm going to like make sure everything is like really, really clean so I can see them and they move like across the room. I see them move and I go get them with the vacuum. But so I was taking boxes downstairs and I like look at my hand. There's an ant crawling on me. He knew that that would get to me and that would be my breaking point. Anyway, um, thank you so much, everybody, for joining this episode. Um, I unfortunately have to go vacuum up some ants. Um, Thank you, special guest, Mr. Yonda. It was an honor. It's fun. It is fun. I'm glad you agree. Welcome to our cult. I won't be here all the time, but I do listen all the time. I know we're you going brought back up a to... lot of references. Yeah. yeah. We're going back to strictly episodes. being no men. It's fine. I, I won't take it personally. I won't take it personally. You were our one exception. No, we I have one exception. It was you were the one exception, <laughs> and I'm also removing every time you speak. It's just going to okay. be silence. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going to be like, yeah, I don't know why that did that. I, that's crazy. <laughs> just a whole, like, no, I, I bleep out, silence. I bleep out the ad for the um the 24-7 because he didn't pay me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> didn't I set up your Anchor account? I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm just. I know you're joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, 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 uh, I mean, it's for real. If you want to take out my voice because we're empowering female voices, that's fine with me. I mean, like, take. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> well, maybe. It's just like a, it's we'll just consider like a it. Like, censored bleep sound. it'll know because you've listened to like all of our episodes we do that a lot we talk about 
can't like censoring whatever someone is saying <laughs> I just gonna, he's gonna start to talk it's gonna go silent you're gonna hear me voice over so he was talking about this <laughs> <laughs> it's just lawrence saying what you said. <laughs> yeah yeah she's, she's if you have yeah if you have everything if, he's saying if you've never listened to what's popping um which is the pop culture podcast for anybody who's not why are you promoting that, a different I'll, podcast Reda- <laughs> named it redacted those are our enemies <laughs> <laughs> they don't want to be on my witch we're in competition with them cross, cross promotion it's cross promotion i thought are they going to talk about us? Promote us? Yeah, <laughs> you know what? I'm on. I'm on their show tomorrow, and I will make sure that I promote you guys on their show tomorrow. I was actually Good. thinking about reaching out to some of them to ask them to do on an episode. You should. They're great. I know this is like... And they do like a pop culture case. Oh my god! Wait, we should do a so collab. Cool. Oh wait, a collab. Well, maybe... yeah. I say we talk about the bling ring. I stopped to watch the movie, but oh yeah, we talked about that a few episodes back. Just I'm a little s- bit. I'm yeah. certain Krista would talk about it with you guys and pro- and and Andy and stuff. They they would dig it. Well, we don't want it. Andy or whoever Savage. boys are on there. <laughs> no boys. Oh, okay. No boys. There's Krista. So true. Oh. Krista, if you're listening to this, we're your biggest fan. <laughs> our last names are yeah. near each other, so we're basically besties. <laughs> be on our podcast, Krista. Can our can our podcast be best friends, Krista? She won't even listen to this. What am I saying? She's I, like, oh, no, I'll she's tell like, him. What's the best detectives? I'll t- I'll tell them. I'll tell them. I'll say, hey, everybody, okay. <laughs> listen to Wait, this. Wait, so are all like the? I know like the our podcast and like what's happened like on like Spotify. Is it like also like on TCFM? Like what are like all the platforms are on? Like I know they're on yeah. multiple platforms, but like I don't know which ones. Yeah, there's both. Um, the yes, so this show plays Friday nights. Uh, well, Friday afternoons at five fifteen on yep. TCFM. So that's the regular, you know, radio that you can listen to, and you can hear yourself on the radio. Like, there you go. I unfortunately or, work tomorrow at five, so I won't be able to listen to it live. <laughs> but you can subscribe to I'll it on. To yeah, yeah, but yeah. I listened to the one episode I wasn't on. I listened to it on Spotify. Yeah, and so you can subscribe to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts. I think you can even, like, um, if you have an Alexa or a Google, I think you can ask it to play TCFM's The Armchair Detectives. I think you can. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Um, This has been The Armchair Detectives, and we'll see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye.